Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to another episode of Full Exposure with me, Brian Kelly. Hey, we have a brand new website, and man, that puppy is a beautiful, and I want you to check it out. It is called, or you can find it at, I should say, fullexposurepodcast.com. It's so easy. It is beautiful. Uh, I got to say, I, it's more than I thought we could have at this point. We're only, what, uh, 10 episodes in to this uh, career podcasting, and um, why I'm excited about it is... Every episode has a dedicated page. It features our guest bio, a description of what we talked about, who they are. It showcases the portraiture we did before we sat down for our conversation. Uh, There might be random other photos or things that we talked about within the podcast, so it gives you a little more context. There are bonus video clips at the bottom of uh, underneath the photo gallery, so you can see our conversation as it happened in video. Uh, there's also, which is pretty cool, an audio player built into the page so you can listen to the full, rich audio of our entire conversation uh, right on that homepage. So you can scroll, listen to it, look at some photos, watch, uh, read more about that person. Maybe I put in some links that are relevant to that episode and what we talked about. So please just check out fullexposurepodcast.com. It was built, uh, and a lot of the heavy listing of the website was done by my daughter, Hannah. So thank you, Hannah. You did an amazing job. And uh, eight checks in the mail. Um, but uh, my guest is Joel Petroikas, famed filmmaker, director, writer. He's, uh, he's something, Joel. Yeah, um, he came into my studio, and we were going to do the portrait. And man, we talk about it, but... Uh, he did a few things before our shoot that I've never seen anybody do before. Uh, looking for props, rummaging around. Uh, I really like these portraits, so please check them out at fullexposurepodcast.com. Okay? Since 2012, Joel Petroikas has arguably become one of the most successful and unusual independent film directors to ever emerge out of Michigan and land on the global cinema stage. Despite all success, Joel talks about that he doesn't really enjoy the process of making a movie. I know that sounds weird. He's a film director, uh, has a lot of feature films under his belt. Doesn't really enjoy that process. That might sound weird, but after you listen to the episode, you're going to understand why. And uh, Joel and I take a deep dive into his filmmaking and writing process. We talk about uh, his tight-knit and frequent film collaborators. Uh, He says they function more like a band than a production company, and that's very true. And uh, we also get way into Joshua Burge, who's uh, the lead actor in many of his films. He's uh, kind of, if you want to say, a muse of of, uh, Joel's, and uh, he's cast him a lot in the lead parts. And uh, a mutual friendship. Joshua Burge is a friend of ours. So shout out to you, buddy. We you get some you get some time in this podcast and well deserved. Um, Joel's previous films, Ape Buzzard and The Alchemist Cookbook, all established Joel as a genius writer and director of odd, offbeat, and campy films. The tone and style of his films caught the attention and quickly forged a business and creative relationship with famed independent film studio Oscilloscope Laboratories, which was founded by the late great Adam Yawk of Beastie Boys fame. But it's his latest film, Relaxer, that is kicking everything up a few more notches for Mr. Petroikis. Uh, his career is, uh, 
I, this film is crazy. You have to see Relaxer. I promise you. Uh, I promise you that you will not come away from that film uh, feeling something. You may love it. Uh, you know, I. I. I'm still processing it. It is a powerful film. It's beautifully made. Uh, Joshua Burge is incredible in this film. Like I don't even know how he did it. The acting is nuanced. It's uh, and just the whole team that Joel Petroikas has around him. The acting talent, the production talent, the cinematography is. Uh, it's the. Uh, this is everything's coming together on Relaxer. It is quite a ride. Again, I'm not saying it's for the faint of heart. It's not overtly violent or grotesque necessarily, but man, there is tension in this film, and it builds. And uh, Joel's a master writer and director and the beats he hits in this film with his cast is uh, something to behold so you know be forewarned it's a good movie uh it's unusual and it is full joel petroikas coming at you a thousand miles an hour and that's the way uh, i've i've come to like it i i gotta say i didn't really love his films the first couple times I saw him, the first couple of uh, films I saw by him, I was like, you know what, I'm not sure I get this. I revisited the catalog. I love Buzzard, man, that's one of my favorite films. And also, uh, I love Relaxer, man. And and I, it's not a normal film. It is a weird film and a weird premise, and uh, it's beautiful, and you need to see it. And uh, we should all bow down to Joel Petroikas. He comes out of Hales from Grand Rapids and is uh, doing it proud. So anyway, enjoy this episode. As always, this episode is brought to you by Brian Kelly Photography and Film and Brian Kelly Productions. If you have any photo or video projects going and thinking about doing something, please reach out to me. I'd love to see if we can collaborate together, all right? So that's the pitch. We're into the episode. Enjoy Joel Petroikas and I chatting in my studio. Pretty much, I'm so, this, I'm, I'm done with, like, press and stuff, I think. I don't like press. I, really? Yeah. Why is that? <laughs> Just because it's... I hate, uh, I mean, not to preface this with I, I just have a hard time talking about the movie yeah like uh, abstractly uh, explaining it uh, no I just I just don't I'm not comfortable talking about myself and stuff like right. for me it's like there's the movie right go watch it and it's good you guys, on a podcast you know. with nothing to talk about but you <laughs> and <know>. me <laughs> um, no, so th- uh, this is fine. I, it may- maybe just because the more movies that we make, the more I feel like the little bit bigger they get and the more press the oscilloscope wants us to do. Um, and so it's fine. I mean, it's, it's, some of it's part of the job and some of it is really good, yeah. like conversations. And it's But the thing I noticed is, or not noticed, but you... Your movies are you. You write, direct, produce. Yeah. They're, they're not massive productions it's a pretty you know pretty tight group of people that you work with yeah and so there aren't many other people that can explain it more than you, you yeah know? and i get that <laughs> yeah. so sometimes it just i maybe it was like the worst i get a lot of interviews where they haven't seen the movie and it's like all right tell us about the movie and right. tell us about you and it's like oh yeah 
that's uh, where I'm, it's like a, a sales pitch or something. Right. That's just the worst. Yeah, yeah. And they have those like junket days where it's just like yeah, boom, one after another, and it's the same stuff. And it's like, tell us about the movie. Right. And it's like, why? Yeah. Like, there's Maybe a trailer. Go watch the trailer, or just go watch the movie, <laughs> or yeah. play the trailer. In, embed the trailer in the article that you're going to write about that and then just ask me something else. Yeah. Just tell us about the movie. Mm-hmm. Is like, <laughs> I won't ask you that. <laughs> but the, uh, I am interested about oscilloscope because... Are we rolling right now? Yeah, we're just picking up uh, some banter. I see, I see what you you're know, doing. It's just a little warm-up. Yeah, yeah. And I'll do an intro of you later, so it's yeah. not like I've got... Uh, yeah, I'm with here, Joel, filmmaker. Right. I don't do that. So, okay. But I am interested. That was one thing. You know, you've had some releases on oscilloscope, and and you know, I I got huge respect for Beastie Boys, Adam Yock, yeah. and all that. So, how did that come about? Because that must be. Can you explain it? Because I don't understand it. Yeah. What are they specifically? How did it start? And then, I know it started with doing special projects and films and stuff like that. But yeah. Um, so oscilloscope was. How it started for me is I would see the they have that classic logo at the beginning of their movies like wow yeah. and and I I started to see it on movies that I really liked the movie Wendy and Lucy and I was like wow that's a great logo what is this and I looked it up and I was like oh my gosh like that's the company that Adam Yauch started yeah. that this is the oscilloscope that I'd heard about I just figured that they would be putting out hip-hop movies or something like that. And yeah. so it caught me off guard that it was on this little indie, and it was like... And then I started to like just rent all of their movies that they were releasing. Yeah. So it, they started off as um, Adam Yauch was making... He wanted to make movies, like uh, documentaries. He made a movie. He made a documentary, a basketball documentary. Um, and so it started as a company where he could control everything. Like he could, yeah. he could film the movie and distribute it and then um, put it... In theaters and things like that, he could have the, all the control. And then after that, um, he had a business partner, and they're like, "We need to start releasing other things." And, and maybe I'm getting some of the story wrong, but as soon as I found it out, I was like, "That's where I want to be. Like, that's the people that I want to work with. Yeah, like, this is this is insane. Like, because they're not putting out you know studio films with blockbusters and no. rom coms and just the normal sort of like, and like you'd go on their website and it, they would show their facilities and it was and it said you know we do mu- uh, uh, distribution film production and you know music and that's where the Beastie Boys were recording their albums was in this space where all of the film people were and their you know studio engineers and everything and so i just started sending them everything that i'd ever made through like their contact us page right like not just i just wanted it actually worked well i just wanted them to know who i was like i'm just this dude joel i live in grand rapids and here's a short film i know there's you just i just want you to know who i am right and then um, I don't know if that Is there worked. something kind of Midwestern about that sort of golly gee, <laughs> hey, New York. I, I, like I, that. I, like, I admire that about like some of our DNA yeah. when you're dealing with like coastal people. Like I, I find myself like shrinking into this, uh, you know, I don't know what it is. There's a sweet naivete sometimes. And when, when, when we went to the big, our first big premiere festival for Ape, like in Switzerland, it was very, it's like the biggest art house um, festival in the world. 
and we were described, it was me, Josh Burge, Mike Saunders, Ashley Young. We were described as the lovable goofballs. And I totally got that. We could not just like blend in to all the, the, the high upper totally. crust filmmakers. So, so yeah, so I was really just um, writing to them. And then um, they, and I was sending them everything. And then when I sent them Buzzard, I was like, and it got into South by Southwest, and they're like, okay, let's right. let's like take this guy a little more seriously. Sure. And then right after the news that it got into South by Southwest, um, it got into this festival called New Directors New Films. It was at the Lincoln Center in the MoMA, and they're like, okay, so this isn't just yeah, this film. These guys, this guy's films aren't just like appealing to like the grungy weirdos of Austin. This is also like a whole different audience right. that that respects it as art or something and from there um they were excited and 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 i don't know if they how often they do it but they're like i mean speaking of the midwest kind of naivete when they once they found out how cheaply these movies are made oh yeah yeah right i was like leverage you guys give me a few bucks i could make one and you'd have the rights to it right away and you wouldn't have to compete with other distributors yeah and so they're like Sounds yeah, good. let's think about this. And they're like, yeah, let's totally do this. So now it's, they're the producers of the films. They're putting up all of the money yeah. because they know that we can make it in Michigan for a fourth yeah. of the cost. And you'll be, yeah, you're not going to blow it out of the water yeah, they, and you have these problems. And they know that I'm not, yeah, just like some flaky, you know, yeah. dude. Like he will make it on time with the amount of money we're going to give him. And yeah. it's, we know we're going to get because we've read the script and we trust it. So there's this. It's awesome, man. It's yeah. like there is. I mean, it was literally the only company I wanted to work with, and that's incredible that that can happen. You yeah. know, it's like it's uh, you know, it's Babe Ruth pointing to left field and saying, <laughs> I'll, "I'll hit a home run over that wall." Yeah, for a I mean, it took a few swings to get yeah. there, but right. But now it's like people are like, "Oh, aren't you going to go to LA or you should try to you know do something with Netflix?" I'm like, "Why? Like, I don't. I have no interest in that. Like, right. this is." Like oscilloscope gives gives us full control. Like there's right. nobody looking over our shoulders. There's nobody right. like double giving notes even on the script. They'll say like, yeah, we, and like you know, I consider them part of the the creative process. They'll give me like feedback, but ultimately right. at the end of the day, it's I get final cut and and they you know they trust us. Yeah, absolutely. And I can also see from maybe your perspective and just knowing that. You know, if they had given you a lot of money or you had to have a much bigger budget, it would have to have a much bigger return for anyone to have, you know, a return on it. And when, if the budget's already lower, like, it, it becomes profitable that much bigger. And it, right. it, even if it makes something, as long as you're not, like, what's bleeding them cash, they'll, you right. know, they want to work with you creatively. Yeah, the so. less, less you spun, spend, the more you can make. Right. And, and we all know that. And so they're like, and and I think they're very realistic about it. They're like, this isn't going to be the next Pulp Fiction. We're not going to make millions and millions of dollars, but we're going to make a profit. And it's going to, these are, I think, I think at least that these are the kind of movies that we want to be known for, the offbeat kind of weird stuff. And so it's. Well, I don't think the legacy of Adam Yawk at that point, when he wanted to get into that and start oscilloscope with mm-hmm. the mission that he had, he, he, money was not, it was more about art and creativity yeah. and it wasn't about like, Oh, I'm going to have to make X amount of dollars as my, he's already successful. 
And so, not that you want to throw your money down a, a movie pit, but like, uh, I could just see where that it's more of an incubator of creativity in a sense of that, but that uh, their first priority isn't like how much profit are we going to make on this vehicle? Right. I, I mean, obviously, they need to make they need to sustain themselves as a sure. business, but that is their first and foremost is trying to put stuff out there that they like, yeah. which I get. And you go to their office, and it's like a Beastie Boys museum with all the props from the music videos. And the record. The studio is, like, right there. So, like, that's where we mix the sound for our movies, like, right where the Beasties record their albums. And it's just like, yeah, how, this can't get any better. <laughs> like, it's just... Yeah, I my one regret of the 90s was that uh, when I... Uh, how old are you? I'm, I'm, I just turned 50. Oh, congratulations. I'm 41. Okay. So in the 80s, you know, Licensed Ill came out and Fight for Your Right came out, and it was a huge hit, and I didn't really like that song probably because it was overplayed and it was the big thing, mm-hmm. just getting rammed down everybody's throat on, on the air and MTV and all that stuff. Yeah. But I didn't really respect them till the 2000s, and they already had this amazing catalog of the 90s, which I wish I had been more into their music at that time. Yeah. And now I revisit it and discover stuff all the time, and uh, just um, amazing. It's their second album, Paul's Boutique. Yeah, yeah. That's the one, man. Yeah. That's like that's what they wanted to do. I mean, because Lysendale was very much Rick Rubin. Yeah, his idea of fusing metal and yeah. I mean, there's, there's it's an amazing album, but it wasn't really their kind of vision, right? Well, and you know, it's it, uh, what I respect about them is that I didn't even realize. I thought they were just a corporate sort of band put together that I didn't realize how much sound sourcing and not just sampling music but uh, but sampling like noises and creating and then they're actual musicians and then lyrically what they're doing is it was always incredible too yeah they started off as a punk band yeah. like all just like live instruments yeah um, my daughters gave me for Christmas the this year the Beastie Boys book the the thick one that came oh, out that they so they, they produced the guys uh, you know minus Adam but the um, but anyway I, you mentioned something earlier about making films in Grand Rapids and I uh, or in the region I should say mm-hmm. and w- just talk about the, what is the advantage and I, I find it as an asset with locations and being able to sort of like go up and talk to people and say, Hey, can I use the rooftop of your building for something? And they're just like, yeah, that sounds cool. Mm-hmm. There isn't this like, do you have insurance or well, right. you can, or I'll have to find uh, you know, tell me about the advantages of just working in West Michigan for you. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's, that's a big one. I mean, first and foremost, this is where my friends are and I don't have any interest in making movies with, a hired crew or something like that. It doesn't, it's not why I'm doing this. It's to, to, to be a band, you know, like this is, these are my people and this is what we all play and we all live in Grand Rapids and, um, we just don't need to live anywhere else, um, to do these movies. And, and you're right, because if you, if you are trying to do these movies in LA where people are jaded and everybody's trying to make movies and do that, something you want to use somebody's rooftop. And like you said, it's like, well, do you have production insurance? All right, we're going to charge you a location fee, yeah, um, and you need a filming permit and all this stuff, and that just like drags it down. So and, and it's slow. Yeah, you can't go. Oh, the weather's great right now, and it's probably going to be an amazing dusk shot. So let's scramble somewhere. 
right. and do something. Yeah, people are like stoked here that like, oh, you're making a movie. Sure, I'd love to have my yeah. restaurant be there or something. And yeah. so, and you can move. Yeah, we shoot very quickly, and um, and we couldn't. We do need that, like, oh, let's just go find, although it was, like, shoot, find, like let's go find a payphone and just film there, you know. Yeah, it was right. actually It was actually very difficult to find a payphone. But, <laughs> um, and no one questions you, you know, you have right. a, you have, it's also part of, because we don't have huge crews, there's, like, yeah, back in the early days. Not it blocking was like, traffic. And yeah, four or five of us. Um, and we actually, if we needed to block traffic, we'd just have somebody go, go stand, stand the at the end of the road and stop. And it wasn't like people were... Yeah. And if somebody asked, you're like, oh, shooting a movie. Then, cool, yeah, I'll wait. You know, it wasn't like you a-holes. <laughs> um, so there's just people are... And it's just our home, and, and that's... Yeah. There's no reason to go anywhere else. Well, I think there's a, there's a quietness to a lot of the, your films, uh, a quietness and space, and some of it, I, I maybe I read too much into the locations, but it, it feels kind of like a tapestry with your script and uh, just kind of how things are framed, but also uh, just maybe I knowing the backdrop, backdrop that some of these things are filmed right around me. I see, I look at the, I try to recognize locations. Mm-hmm. And, just as a, a my own sort yeah. of game, or I'll just recognize something randomly. But um, but yeah, it's, I have a sense of it because you know you watch films and you you usually can pick things out right away that were shot here, even if you didn't shoot them. I'm talking about other movies right. now. You know, it's like oh, there's a there's our skyline, or there's that park, or that tree. I know that tree, and yeah. then you figure out oh, one of. Um, you know, some film it was shot, or part of it was shot here back when the film incentives were going on. But, um, but you talked about being a band, and just that approach. I that just struck me as a as a cool way to look at that mm-hmm. in a visual medium, like your gang. Yeah, your homies are making making the stuff with you. Yeah, so we don't like in a traditional film shoot, you hire everybody, and then you get together a week or two before, and you do your location scouting and tech checks and things like this. But th- with these, we're just hanging out for like a year before we're even shooting it, reading the script, talking about it. Everybody's contributing ideas. And, you know, me and the cinematographer are already like going to places and just hanging out. It's not like, oh, let's, right. um, I need to hire you for three hours for this. It's just like, well, let's go yeah. just check this place out and let's look at the light and yeah. and kind of map it out and compose things ahead of time. And Josh and I, the actor, he'll... You know, we're just like, hey, let's just run scenes today and then go get some tacos. It's like, it's it just feels right. It feels like a band. Like, we're yeah. just, like, rehearsing and just hanging out and talking about whatever. That's incredible because, um, well, you brought up Josh, Joshua Burge. You say Burge? Burge. 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 Yeah. Anyway. Well, he's uh, he's become a friend over the last couple of years. We try to do photo shoots together. When he moved to L.A., we have an agreement standing now. And if, if I go out to L.A. for any reason, he has to make time. Oh, for your, me shot, to do a shoot. your your shoot shots of him are so great. The one in the <laughs> Capitol Records in the background oh, and things like that. That was so cool. He told me that that is hanging now in some famous bar on Hollywood Boulevard. It is in the... Uh, and there's nothing but actors on the wall. Yeah. This cool hole-in-the-wall bar. I totally know because I, I went and took a photo of that photo. Um, uh, boy. It's right off the strip, and uh, he told me it was. I he uh, I forget if he asked me to make a print, or I think I sent him a file. He's like, "Can you send me a file? I could do make a print of because they're going to put it up in this bar." And he's I forget who he's hanging by. 
he's like right next to somebody like super famous mm-hmm. and the bar owner or the bartender had him sign the sign it like a glossy yeah yeah i've seen that I, I cannot believe i can't remember the name of that anyway that bar really cool. but uh so when did you meet uh, joshua burge and he's you know i his career now is something that is really interesting to watch because it has traction. But I just am amazed by his talent by watching Relaxer, uh, watching Buzzard, and um, what was the first Ape. film? It was Ape, thank you. And the movie made Coyote before that, which yeah, is our and first the only film. one I haven't caught, just to be yeah. fully candid. But the um, he, he really has some range that's quiet and it seems to fit with your writing style somehow can you tell me a little bit more about how you feel about him because he's been the star of so many of your films have you seen him play in chance jones i he was sort of out i again i'm a little bit older so i was out of like the bar scene around town and seeing club dates and things like that when he was playing and then by the time he and I connected he was already out of music pretty much yeah so i first Saw him at, um, I went to Grand Valley State University back in like the late 90s, and he would play at the coffee shop across the street. Um, and we were like, Who is this Bob Dylan looking <laughs> dude? And um, we kind of just kept up on, he was always playing solo shows, and he started a band called Chance Jones. He was going by the name Chance Jones, and he started a band called Chance Jones. I remember and- the buzz about the band. Like, there was a, there was a good two years where. A lot of he had quite a following locally. Yeah, they were they were playing really big shows and people would turn out and I was one of them. I was like got into them and um, you just see this dude on stage and it's like he was all over the place and he just people were just looking at him. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. just look at this guy. Well, he loves it. And when I photograph him, like there's there's very few people that you can photograph where almost every frame, yeah, there's something there. It may not always be the winner, but like if I took just a single frame, I might I'd be happy with it. If I wasn't trying to break them down and pick right. out my favorite three shots from a shoot, yeah. And that's I mean that's what I saw when I would yeah. go see them. I was like um, I was like I don't know if this dude can act, but I just need to put him in front of a whoops, yeah. uh, in front of a camera, and maybe we'll have a movie. So Coyote, I had written um, for him, and intentionally there's no dialogue in that movie. He doesn't say anything because I didn't know if he. Could right. you know remember lines or he could emote, right. but I was like, we just look at him for twenty minutes. This this would be good, and it, it was it was yeah. great, and it was kind of like the first time we were both like, or at least I was like, yeah, this is the kind of movie I want to make. This is good. Let's keep this going, and then yeah. so I was like, let's just do it. And I I actually never write for him because I don't want I don't sure. want Josh Burge. I want yeah, your character. I want the character, and I want to yeah. you know challenge him to. Step up and do because something different. Because every character's been different. There's similarities yeah. I'll go into that I think, uh, um, you know, there might be parallels. But every, the, he's a different character in each one, no doubt. And the storyline drives it that way. And the, the strength of your writing drives it that way. But, like, he's really able to, uh, I think when you took someone who's pretty much unschooled and just has all that, un, in, you know, that latent talent as an yeah. actor... And and has the camera presence too. Yeah, I mean because he's a musician, he's a performer. Yeah. he's a performer, and he's just he's just doing a different kind of performing in front of the camera. And he's got you know he's got rhythm, and he understands the importance of silence. Like when you're yeah. not saying things, that's really when I want to look at you and just yeah. like. And so he has that. Like, but as a director, I had I wanted to ask you this too because I you know I direct corporate stuff. I haven't done anything scripted, but. 
the amount of balls you have sometimes to hold scenes <laughs> as long as you have them where almost nothing's happening, but mm. it's really important. Yeah. And you just hang in it, man, as long. And it's like when you watch that just with the little bit of film knowledge and mm-hmm. scripting that I have about stuff, you're like, you're a confident director in, in not only your editing and timing of those things, but that trust in the actor to be able to be doing something meaningful because you can't just put up a camera and let, let something happen without the actor really intuitively knowing what's happening in the scene, behind the camera, off camera, there might be something happening, mm-hmm. but in their own, their own thoughts because they're not really doing a whole lot sometimes. Yeah, those are those moments. I mean, those are the kind of scenes that if I were to work with somebody outside of oscilloscope, like Amazon, or they they would be like, "You cut cut this because this, yeah. there's nothing happening." Literally, yeah, like moving along. There's five minutes of a guy eating spaghetti. He's not saying anything. Like, let's let's cut this. Um, but for me, those are those are very rarely scripted. Where it's like, and, and so for instance, in Buzzer, the one where he is eating spaghetti for five minutes yeah. and not saying anything, and he's just watching TV. That's not scripted. In the script, it just says uh, Marty takes a bite of the the most delicious spaghetti he's ever had. Like this is room service spaghetti, and he's yeah. really living it up. Um, yeah, because he, he yeah he scored some cash and, yeah. and basically was splurging on himself <laughs> and on the run, blew it all in one night. <laughs> um, and so there's a lot of those kind of moments in these movies. But for instance, those don't happen. Those aren't planned. Those are like th- those are the moments that happen after when everybody looks at me to say cut. And I'm kind of, I'm looking at Josh and I'm like, what I'm seeing right now is great. And I'm just kind of like, put my hand up, like, mm-hmm. all right, everybody, just relax. Yeah. We're going to let the camera roll. And Josh is so great where he doesn't look at me like, are we done? Or did you say cut? Like, he just knows that I'm yeah. watching him. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't watch monitors when I direct. I just sit there right with the actor and yeah. just watch them and then trust that my DP, Adam Minnick, that, that, like Adam, did we get it? Like it's composed, yeah. everything is good. You know, Sasha, the sound guy, everything sound good. Yeah, I was like, and I trust you. Um, so I just, if I'm sitting there looking at Josh and I'm just like, this is great, then I know that it's going to be great in the movie. And so for that scene, he just took a huge bite and he took a, a much bigger bite than I would have thought. And I was like, oh, this is good. He's going to just keep eating like this. So right. I just sat there and just watched him. Well, there's this other te- uh, tension that happens. He's in this white, uh, you know, he has a, a expensive hotel room. He has mm-hmm. a robe from the bathroom. It's perfectly white. Yeah. He has the room service napkin. He's going to eat spaghetti, yeah. you know, and you just know something's going to happen. Yeah. And then he just makes a mess of it. Well, I didn't know anything yeah. was going to happen until he started. I was like, yeah, this is, I mean, it is. It's the weird, you know, shot at Amway Grand Plaza. Yeah. yeah. It's like almost blew out the budget on that room. Um, but it's this, yeah, it is. You had to pris- buy the robe at the end of the <laughs> Yeah. Because he can't. It's all pristine it. white and he's, he's being sloppy. And I was like, this is, this is the character. This is the character. Yeah. Um, and so at the end of that, I just, I'm just kind of sitting off to the side. And usually I'm also kind of whispering things to Josh as we're filming, like, all right, now say this or look out the window or, you know, punch, punch the wall right now. And he's able to just like go with it and not be like, oh, that threw me off. And so at the end, I was like, I just, I was like, just laugh. You know, he goes, ha. And I, you know, I was like, cut. And it's I just one of the, it's very and, iconic. There's several scenes now, even um, you were kind enough to send me a, 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 a presser for the, um, uh, for relaxer, and even in that one, there's so many iconic film stills that are going to come out of that film awesome. and other things, just from a visual 
standpoint, I, I really am a, a, a that's in that scene in Relaxer, and there's other ones too that are just I think going to uh, stand the test of time. There's something too about your films that I just know that they will continue to resonate for years because people don't really get them. But I know that people have described your films as art house or sort of campy or have like this. There's another element to them that makes them seem timeless, but also eminently intriguing to kind of this uh, smaller... I know you're not doing it intentionally, but they 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 have that appeal, I think, that I... I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I would imagine mm-hmm. that people will still be watching Relaxer 20, 30 years from so. now. You know, as something... That is, and it's 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 a confusing uh, film. You know, you're not sure how you, how you feel about right. any, uh, everything that happens in it. You're just sort of taken on this mesmerizing ride, and it's shot in one room in Belmont. You know, yeah, Michigan, and it's really central on Josh Burge again. And so, yeah. Uh, what do you do? You have any uh, misgivings or like irritations about how people have described the the body of your work no. in that sense? No, everybody, people all say different things because it's not. I don't make genre films. I don't make comedies or horror or anything, and it is confusing to figure out what they are. And and even you know, props to Silscope. Like, how, I wouldn't know how to market these things. Like, right. I wouldn't know what audience to try to appeal to. Um, but, you know, what I always wanted, I was like, I just want these to, this is, you know, pre-streaming even. I was like, I just want to make movies that will go sit on a video store shelf and then in 20 years from now, some 15-year-old kids will go rent it and be like, what is this? Like, That's exactly what, I, you know, you see happen, and that will happen, you know, every five to seven years will be this, you know, uh, passionate sort of discovery that happens and then they'll explore your other times. Yeah, I mean, that's, I just want to give people what I had, you know, when I, in the nineties, like that's how most, like you just go to the video store and you just like kind of rent everything. You're like, Oh, what's this? And those are like my best, my favorite movies like basket case and forbidden zone and eraser head, like these movies that we could, they weren't theatrical and they were, 20 years old and no one was talking about them you just rent them because they the, the cover looked cool and then right. it was like oh this is great man um so yeah i that's all i really want is just i just i'd be happy i'd be perfectly content to just bury all of them in a time capsule somewhere in new mexico and have somebody dig them up <laughs> and, you know find them after i'm dead and that, that would just well they would be they would be endlessly intrigued with the commitment to stupid challenges in your scripts, you know, like even, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the relaxer is premised on this bully brother character who basically puts him on these challenges that are, makes him drink a gallon of milk in an hour. Yeah. And that's all stuff that we did, you know, like me and my friends right. did, everybody would go hang out in the front yard, yard on Lake. What was the address? 12, 11, 12, I can't remember the address. Anyway, we go out front and have a have a table, and then everybody put five dollars in a pot and bring a gallon of milk, and the last person to puke would take keep the money. So, like <laughs> these are very much drawn from personal experiences, just heightened a little bit. <laughs> right. Well, um, but the, those challenges too were there's um, the other one that was that struck me is is. Um, 
is the uh, the scene with the bugles that you're eating bugles off the um, you know off the, the, the treadmill. treadmill. Yeah, and that was one where it's like you know you're like I'm trying to break my record. I think yeah. I'm going to break my record. There's another scene that was not scripted. We just showed up. That was at our uh, Mike Saunders' parents' basement. We were filming, and we we're like, "Oh, dude, your mom's got a treadmill. I bet we can do a lot of goofy stuff on this." So I was like, "Just." I don't know. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to lay on my side here, Adam. Yeah. And well, and just to clarify, I jumped around. I will jump around a lot because that's, I don't. I, I don't have an organized structure to the interview. But that was from Buzzard. Yeah. And you co-starred in that film. Yeah. And I really think your acting in that is unbelievable. <laughs> like it, it's crazy how well. I don't know if you're just being yourself or well, we, just like at a time, but you've embodied this nerdy office. Dude, that's uh, in a way in the wardrobe and your hair at that time, and like it all just gelled into my well, that, that you just cracked me up to no end. That, that was film. the most painful part of that was growing my hair out long and growing this awful chin <laughs> patch. That was because we, you know, obviously I, I wrote these, so I know in my head I just know these characters, yeah, for sure. And we would do our table reads and our little band rehearsals, and and we would audition people, and I was just like, "Man, they're not—they're playing it too goofy, or they're—they're they're right. just not getting it." Yeah. And in the rehearsal or the table reads, you know, everybody's just dying laughing, and they're like, "Joel, you have to be Derek." Yeah. And I was like, "I knew you guys were going to say that." <laughs> uh. But the the quality of the of the performances that you guys deliver together in that in every scene, like the fight scene too, is crazy. You know, he's got your head on the ground. Did you guys have a safe word for that? Because he, he's really pounding. He yeah. really put a lot of pressure and for you. That was, for me, the real reason that I, I was, like, okay to play that part. Because I was like, there's a lot of, like, I was, there needs to be, they need to have a chemistry. They ha- we have to feel like they know each other. And there's some, there's history. And so Josh and I had that when we could. And so when it, I specifically remember coming to that fight scene, I was like, just give it to me, man. Just yeah. give it to me as hard as you can. We kept throwing stuff at you and the glasses came up. Well, there's other scenes, but it's like the, he, he's always whipping stuff at you. Yeah. And, and it's it was, hitting you and it's hilarious. It hit but me, like, he hits me in the head with hard. the, with the um, hot pockets box. <laughs> and I remember when that took like a lot of takes, I was like, it's got to hit me right in the head and whip it as hard as you can or else it'll look it won't right. look right. right. So yeah, I, I, I feel like you do need to really suffer to make something good. I mean, it's got to be realistic. Like, well, you did, and that—that's the thing. But even in your your script, you know, your your banter, I can't perceive the effort in the acting between you and him in that. And I just mean that as a compliment. Yeah, I'm not blowing man. smoke, but like, yeah. it's just, you know, you can tell when people are anticipating a line or but what seems like all that dialogue had a timing to it and an authenticity to the dialogue that never felt forced or acted oh good and that just uh you know and a lot of people could say well i don't really understand the story or it's a weird film and and whatever but if you just break it down scene to scene of you guys acting i no one could exploit or, or could could uh criticize i don't think the the timing the comedic timing the darkness, but the authenticity that you need to have as an actor, as actors together to pull that off. Do you want to do more acting? I'm sure you get that asked all the time. Um, not really, only if we need to do it. Like in the Derek, like if we couldn't find somebody else or we just need to have that chemistry. Because I, I mean, that's the other luxury is that I don't have, like if I'm casting myself, I don't have to like pay someone 
<laughs> like fly him up or put him out. Like sure. Josh and I could just hang out and, and we're, I'm, we're like really big on rehearsals. So that's what I feel like to make it feel like it's, um, like we're not acting and we're not just waiting for our lines because we've rehearsed it to death to the point where, and this is really basically all I was doing as Derek because I was just trying to mess with Josh the whole time and keep him off balance a little bit so it doesn't sound rehearsed yeah. because he knows what the scene is about. And as long as we get there, it doesn't yeah. matter how we get there. As long as the end, this is what he got what he wanted or I got what I wanted. So I can just kind of like play with it the whole time and he's good enough. He's a good enough actor not to break and like start laughing. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah, no, I, that. Um, yeah, and then there's. Uh, oh, I just want to jump around too much, but. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of the other surprise for me as an actor or actress was Adina Howard in Relaxer, yeah. and I rewatched that scene uh, a few hours ago. And she has a small but very important part mm-hmm. of the movie. And the way it was shot, dark, and when she's at the door, you can see in one her eye this little red glow of, uh, I, I don't know what it could be. It could be just the TV or, mm-hmm. or anything there. But it just had this feeling, and it wasn't like a robot or a cyclone. Well, that's not what I'm saying. It's just no. like it's so subtle that I didn't even notice it the first time. And then her acting and delivery of th- that and portraying this sort of sweet, mentorish kind of uh, relationship, mm-hmm. can't, uh, can't, alluding to a former co-workers. Yeah. Uh, and just there was a sweetness. So what? how did Adina Howard, who's an R.B. soul singer <laughs> yeah. from Grand Rapids, who had some, some pretty big hits in the, in the 90s and early 2000s? I'm trying to remember when her she career a, was. Yeah, she had a massive hit in like 94, yeah. uh, Freak Like Me. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, she is from Grand Rapids. Yeah. And, and that, that, that scene is really important. That's like the heart of the film. Because um, some backstories explain, some objects yeah. are explained in the film that are very important later. You don't see it coming, it's but the, it's like, yeah. It's like the first person to show up not to hurl abuse at the character, Josh's character, Abby. Yeah. And so um, I remember Mike Saunders and Josh Burge were just kind of jokingly saying one night, like, oh, we should get a Dina Howard. And I was it like, literally emerged out. And I was just like, like, yeah, maybe. I was like, I don't know if she can act, but she's from Grand Rapids and she's like the right age and she looks, you know, the part. I want her to be beautiful, like in kind of an angelic, ethereal way. And I was like, yeah, okay. And but she wasn't made, she was in like a, a her, yeah. her uniform yep. for, and you certainly could have made her up to right. look, um, you know, more more made up in a, feminine sexy way she's still a beautiful woman but yeah. like but it just led to the role in the relationship not to have her yeah be, we wanted be in a 90s music video yeah we know? wanted to ground it for sure yeah. in reality and so i just like dug around in the internet and just wrote her and said could we talk about this and i don't know if you can act uh, we auditioned other people as well and they just didn't have it and so we auditioned uh, i auditioned her over skype and mostly it was just talking yeah, and, and I was like, "Yeah, she's got she's got the thing that I want." Had and she done much acting outside of done, like portraying uh, you know herself in music videos? She'd done one movie, but I don't think it was ever released. And I think I uh, found the scene online, and it wasn't it wasn't anything to display her abilities at all. Sure, it was yeah. like just kind of um, very chopped up and quick. 
Um, but she came out um, for a few days near the end of the shoot to to play this, and she was she was great. And you know that little sparkle of red in her eye, the DP at a minute, because he's meticulous about that kind of stuff. He's yeah. obsessive about every shard of light and glisten of what color and, you know, make sure it's all there. So I tell him things like I said, you know, at the beginning, I was like, I don't know how to do it, but I want, I want people, certain characters eyes to like basically light up. And he's like, all right. And yeah. And so he plans this out with a gaffer. And, and so, um, I mean, sometimes you can't get, you know, persons moving one way or another. Sure. And he's like, okay, well, you know, he's the guy's like, yeah, she didn't, we didn't get the red on that one. I was like, well, it's performance first. And he's yeah. like, oh. And so when, when we have those moments where the performance is right and his light or camera are perfect, yeah. then we're both, you yeah. know, like that's that's the magic. But otherwise, I'm like, well. Well, if you had a performance in the can, then you can sort of play around. And yeah. sometimes when you feel, I think the actors feel that way. If the direct, if you've told them, all right, we're good. We're just going to try a couple things. There's can be a little magic in the... And usually those are the best things. Yeah. It's like when you're like, all right, just relax now. You don't yeah. have to hit every single line. Let's just see what happens. And yeah. that's when they're loosened up. And, and But I was super impressed with her cool. acting in the, the set design. There's so many things to like about Relaxer. Uh, it is quite a ride for the audience. It, it is um, something that you want to... Uh, just know going in that you're going into they're going to be in some uncomfortable scenes not from anything weird or strange necessarily like nothing like a graphic in a sense of uh, what you might be violent or it's it's so subtle and the tension builds over time and you the characters reveal themselves so subtly through the script that you wrote and alluding to you know what happened to his father, but it isn't explained fully. It's it comes in little bits and pieces, yeah. and it just sort of builds. And then there's just the surrealness of the story, being like, how did that ever come out of a guy's brain? You know, <laughs> to put that together. And I won't ask you that literally, but like yeah. the, it is quite a process. Uh, as you, how long did it take you to write that script in terms of like, okay, I think I have a movie around this idea. Um, it's all, it starts with one tiny idea and it's like, I want to make them. And it's really, um, I don't enjoy the process of making a movie. Like it's very stressful and, and taxing and. All right. This is key. Cause there's another thing we talk about this podcast is nothing is easy. Right. No. So, and here you are, you know, a very successful filmmaker in terms of putting out quality, quality work so singular to your vision mm-hmm. that requires only you can really be part of it. Explore that a little bit more because it must be torturous then for you to like have to write a script. Yeah. And that part is hard. It's hard to write anything, right? I like the writing and I like I edit them as well. And I like the editing. The moments, the times where I can just sit by myself in my bedroom and do my thing. But when... It's all, I produce these with um, my uh, girlfriend as well, Ashley Young, and it's just us. And so it's great because we can always be working on the movie, but it's also a curse because we're pretty much always working on the movie. There's no downtime where I leave the producer's office sure. and go home. It's like we're, we're live together and we're just talking about the movie and we're organ- and we, I can't. 
and it's got to be perfect. You know what I mean? Like, it just has to be, you can never, ever be like, eh, okay, we'll just kind of gloss over. Like, it's, everything has to be perfect. So that's really stressful to make, like, just cross your fingers, you know, do all the planning and cross your fingers and hope that flights aren't late and that, yeah. you know, the weather cooperates. So with every movie, I'm trying to make it easier for me to make a film. And so... Right. Um, well, I think the production part is always the wild card. I think what I'm sensing from you is that you have complete control over the writing process because it's on your brain and into the computer or paper. And also the editing is once it's in the can, yeah. it's in your full control and you can take your time. And there aren't all these curveballs thrown at you like yeah, there basi- are on production. I'm basically a control freak and I, you can't have full control. And you shouldn't shouldn't have full control when you're, when you're making it. But... So um, after Buzzard, we made a movie called Alchemist Cookbook, and I was like, I don't want a bunch of locations. I don't want to be running around town. Just like if we can just go out in the woods, one spot. But still with that was difficult because we did have to deal with the weather and things like that. I was like, how about, I was like, on the next one, just one room. Just one room. <laughs> right. Let's get it easier and easier. So we, we, that was where the idea started. I was like, it's a movie where a guy never leaves his room. And I was like, even even more um, focused, he never leaves the couch. Yeah. And I was like, why wouldn't you leave the couch? And I was like, well, and my like basically my daydream is to like play video games for six months and just have nobody calling me, right. no obligations. I don't have to go to work. Yeah. I don't have just like that. That would be amazing. Well, and video games are you know at least in those two films and then the other film. I'm sorry, I hadn't seen was the uh, Alchemist Cookbook, but mm-hmm. the. The video games is an underpinning of, of two of the films, Buzzard and Relaxer. Yeah. And that just comes straight out of your own interests and in yeah. and, and your own pop, pop culture background. Yeah, I just, just, yeah, my interests work themselves in. So, you know, even so, we're like, let's, we built this apartment set in Mike Saunders' pair, the same. The basement we filmed Buzzard, we just they have a two car garage, and we just built a set in their parent his parents' garage, and you know deal figured out how to soundproof it later and how to keep yeah. it air conditioned. We were shooting in July, and then third figured out how to build a set after that. You know that, right. that was like the that was the biggest stressor for me was building a set. Just me and Mike, and neither one of us really knew what we were doing, and we had friend help with our friend Marcus who kind of. He had never quite built a set like we wanted, yeah. but um, well, I bought it as a real place. You know, good. I would never would have, uh, I never would have guessed that it had, you know, all, it had been completely constructed for for, for the movie. Yeah, and, it was it was great that way because yeah. we could use the house as like our production headquarters and make the food there, and actors could sleep in the house and do hair and makeup there and shoot the movie off in the garage. Like that was that's my ideal. Way to make a movie. Just well, not to get too nerdy into the production of it, but how many what, how many days shoot was that roughly? Thirteen days. That's uh, incredible to me. I mean, you did not have to move a whole bunch of stuff every day, exactly. which is great. But just in terms of the complication of uh, some of the scenes and the and angles that were shot, you know, I mean, they weren't huge company moves or anything, but they were enough that required a, a whole separate set of. Uh, Composition eyes on and what what did that angle really mean and and add to the story by changing right. the angle you and know? that's something that Adam and I obsess over is with the motivation behind every single camera movement yeah. every composition 
um, what lens choice we're going to use. Like that stuff is super critical about the story. We shot it all with one lens, an ingenue zoom lens, um, because we had we we always set up rules like we're very we have restrictions like for this one is like the camera can never be behind Josh the yeah. camera can never be above or below his camera or his eye level like it's it's going to be locked down we can mm-hmm. tilt up we can pan we can um, go you know side to side up and down but the camera has to always stay at Josh's eye level and that makes things mm-hmm. easier and it can't we're not going to have movable walls yeah. Like we have to feel like we're literally in the room, not like eh, I don't know, it feels like there's a yeah. wall there. Mm-hmm. So once you do that, it kind of like once you take away so many choices, it's yeah. it's like all right, we have three ch- choices here. Well, those parameters, one. you know, it really grounds the creativity because you only yeah. have so many tricks in your bag at that yeah. point. And then when a, a character moves behind Josh and they're doing something in and out of the fridge. You might not see their entire head, or it's cut off, but you hear their dialogue, and yeah. it actually adds importance and interest yeah. to what they're saying, even though they're just looking for a sandwich, you know. Or yeah, whatever. we do. I love cutting off um, characters like the waist or the shoulders and make it feel a little bit like almost uncomfortable to watch because it doesn't feel yeah. it doesn't feel like a safe frame. Right. And the other thing, because we rehearse so much, we can shoot long takes, and yeah. and it's amazing to shoot a take that's like 12 minutes long and then go, wow, like a tenth of the movie is done. Right. Like after 12 minutes, we're like, we're making some progress. Yeah. Like we don't shoot coverage. It's not like, all right, now let's get his angle and let's do a wide, let's do a close. It's like one perfect angle. And it has to be important. So what happens in there all has to be doing something because if you're not, if, if you can't cue the activity you need to help further and honor the story it is just wasted movement you can't have wasted camera moves right you're just saying okay and there were some timing things from scenes on that they did did a great adam adam minnick yeah adam's camera moves and timing towards things at the door and coming back and you know from the you know it's there's a lot of scenes that were timing and i there's something that something when you're describing the set and how you like to frame things it's of course that seems logical to me and you as a or I'm seeing you as a director because otherwise you might as well just do the thing on Broadway on a big box on stage where you see everything you yeah. know what I mean so yeah. it's like that's the advantage of film is yeah. you can bury a lot of mystery in the scene even though you're seeing things in right. the scene then you're not quite sure exactly what's happening yeah, that's that's what you don't see is really important. And again, it, it really comes down to when if you if we were doing this and we were shooting traditional coverage, it would take instead of thirteen days, it would take you know thirty days because it's like we'd have constantly be changing setups, changing the light. Yeah. When I think you, you need prime to, lenses all the time. Yeah, I think you need to just go in and and have like you know forget storyboards because you, once you get in there, it's like those storyboards don't hold up because it looks different. Things don't feel right. Yeah, you know, yeah. If different. you just spend ten minutes and just walk around and be like, "This is this is the angle that this scene needs to ha- needs to happen." There's no other way that at least I can do it. Some other filmmaker would come in and be like, "No, we're going to do it all overhead," and be like, "Okay, that, that's cool." But right. I think that's the most important thing is just take that time with your DP and be like. When I have what shot stuff mean? that's very, I've just shot some some broadcast commercials and things, especially for a golf, golf equipment company. And the ad agency wanted these very strict storyboards that we were going to shoot off of. And I have an improvising background. Like if I see something, once we're all set up, we're all like 
aiming towards shooting what's in the board yeah. and compositionally in the lens choice and what's in the background and how much bokeh is in the front. You know, it's mm-hmm. just how much is... But if you see something better in the moment, I'm not going to be a slave to totally. that storyboard. Yeah. That's what the beauty of making art and collaborating and also relying on people around you to see something that you're yeah. not seeing. Because yeah. as a director, you're, you're worried about working with the talent, the entire production. Yeah. And you have a dedicated camera department only thinking about composition and lighting. And if they see something that might be better, it's better that they come over and, hey, Joel, take a look at this. I think... Uh, yeah, I get that a lot, and I love yeah. that. And I, you know, and it really comes down to you have to just be able to filter out the ones that you like and ones you don't like. And it's just instinct. It's all instinct. And, yeah. Um, and I love when somebody else comes up with something better, especially if it's an actor. You know? Right. Yeah. That, that's, that's great. And then it's, it's, there's a lot of genera- less ego... I don't know, maybe it's too much to say you're being generous, but it's your vehicle. But it was just a better idea is a better idea sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And if they're able to execute it, even better. Yeah. As an actor. Yeah, for sure. And even if it alters the story for arc a bit, you're okay with that in the sense of uh, adding something? If it changes the story, that gets tricky. I've, I've done movie <laughs> Ape, the first feature. We did a lot of that. Like, oh, we should just do this. And then I get to the footage and be like, Oh, this doesn't make any sense. How am I no. tying in this later? <laughs> Not what, and so, but that's like also the fun is like you know it's like putting together a jigsaw puzzle and how are you going to do that? You know, like every you can put it together a million different ways. Yeah, and, right. And you rewrite it. Yeah, post, right. Absolutely. I love that part of it. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple things I wanted to ask you just about those two films, which were my they're my two favorite. Although there's a couple I haven't seen yet between buzzard and relaxer but there's Mm -hmm. some similarities or at least things that i noticed that i didn't know if those are themes that you like to explore just happen to be coincidences but both characters uh marty and i i abe uh what's it trevor no in eight no, so no marty and then uh, josh's character in relaxer oh, abby abby and yeah. you don't he doesn't they don't say his name much in the film so it's not drilled in there but abby and marty they both are susceptible to these uh they're sort of quiet can be bullied or pushed around to a point and then they have these outbursts of anger at some point mm-hmm. you know or they're just uh and then the other thing I noticed was these uh, backstories. Uh, it was your character, actually, in, in, um, of the father being somewhat mysterious and your, your character in, 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 you know, he yeah. lives upstairs. He's, he's yeah, saying you never see him. Right you now. never see him, yeah. but you, there's your, that father character is like, it, it drives know. all your motivations through that, and there's some funny references to your your dad in that and yeah then, i don't know why my dad's awesome i never had any <laughs> never had any you know i don't have any like is he the freedom to go off and do weird things because it's not connected to yeah i guess that's source. why it is if my dad really was like a deadbeat or something i wouldn't i wouldn't want to deal with that but no i mean i i just i had a kid last year and i think i think the older i got the the, the bigger the fear that i would never become a dad and yeah and not that i really wanted to become a dad but i was like i, I kind of need to i feel like or else i'm just going to be going to mulligans every saturday for the rest <laughs> of my life i need somebody to like as a, keep me in check as a guy with three daughters uh oh, that sounds you. pretty good to me sometimes <laughs> going to mulligans every saturday how old are your daughters they're uh almost 20 almost 18 
That's and then uh, fourteen. Oh, okay. So I'm in it. I got one in college, one going into college, and then one going into eighth grade. Did, is it easy? Like when they're this old? Did you have a boy or a girl? I have a boy. Okay. So I uh, yeah I. Uh, I mean, everybody says it gets easier, but it like, gets different. And I think guy boys are different. So I have a lot of nephews. My wife's family's big on her side. Uh huh. And so I have a lot of nephews, but I used to notice when they were littler about my girl's age, they would come over and it's just a different animal. Boys, like, they're rougher and things get thrown at eye level, you know, Mm -hmm. like toys and things. And girls are maybe putting on a a costume from a costume box and dancing for a bit, or they're very tactile and they might get lost in art for um, painting for 45 minutes, whereas a boy might do that for four seconds and be done with yeah. it or just wants to destroy the table with finger paints and things. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, it does get easier. It gets cooler as they get to be little people and you can have these conversations and you know you're sort of filling their brain full of things, you know, that that is good, hopefully. <laughs> but you can really see them develop. But I don't think you have any control as a parent. I think the DNA and the wiring for a lot of what they do. The best is just, the. for me, I learned, especially through kid number two and three, is just to be the bumpers down the bowling alley and hope they don't go on the, you know, they yeah. don't get up too far off track. And, uh, but it does, get, it does get better. It's just different. But there's something about a little baby that's awesome too and it doesn't last long the and first, it's amazing. Yeah, the first year was tough. He's 15 months now. Tough because it was just, you know, sleep. And oh, of course. Oh, it's brutal. <laughs> it's brutal. I'm someone who loves to, you know, I love sleep and sleeping in. Like, I haven't slept in. But now, you know, sleeping in used to be noon. Now sleeping in is 7.30. Yeah, oh. And my youngest daughter, who's 14, she's still up every single day at, at for school, she's up at like 6.50 or 7. But on the weekends, Saturday and Sunday, she's up at 7.30. Ah, uh. I need 7.30. To, I need to hear I'm something different. I'm like, dude, just go, just go back to bed. I hope, I hope this guy has my DNA where he likes to sleep until 11 or noon when he's five years old. And it's like, all right. Yeah. Well, I, it'll, be, it'll be fun. And I, I, yeah, I don't know. Were you it's, doing photography the whole time that they were growing up? Well, that's a misconception. The cobbler's kids don't get any shoes. Part of it is just that, you know, they... People would always ask or mostly say to my wife, oh, you must have the most incredible images of your kids. Yeah. And they didn't want to be photographed a lot of times. They'd be like, Dad, no, put it away, especially if I got out of my professional but camera. But that's been your thing the whole time, right? Photography? Like, yeah. Well, yeah, but I never shot families or kids. I've always been in architectural work or um, uh, advertising work, and then that developed or portraiture yeah. you know, for a commercial sense of environmental portraits or... What do you do specifically now, like the most of? It's about 50%. It's about 60% photography and 40% video production work. Yeah. And it's videos just grown every year. So when, when I go on, there, on your website and your, your photographs are amazing, just like well, not you. blowing smoke either. Like yeah. you are, there's this, there's this. Um, mentality from a lot of people in whatever industry. It's like if you live in a little city named Grand Rapids, then in Michigan, like then you don't take yourself seriously, or 
your work can't be that good because if it was that good, you'd be off in New York. Oh, sure, sure. And yeah. you look at it and it's like, no, this dude's like doing like amazing photography in Grand Rapids doesn't need well, to. I appreciate that. I think part of it is um, part of it is with the internet and there's photographers that I love from the time I started in photography. Um, photographers like Annie Leibovitz were big covers of Rolling Stone. Mm-hmm. I was seeing those sort of imagery. So that was like the benchmark of what you saw and became iconic. Yeah. And so that was one in layer of just trying to survive is how do you become somewhat of a bigger fish in a small pond from an execution standpoint. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying my work is, you know, worthy or better than anyone else's. I don't want to qualify that, but I work really damn hard at continuing to always, even after 22 years, play with lighting, play with the subject. You were great today with the, this is a theme of the podcast though too, is we just did a photo shoot. I mean, do you enjoy being photographed? You had tell 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 everybody what you started to do when we started to do a portrait shoot, and I loved it because nobody has done what you did in the ten minutes before we started our photo session. Um, I mean, just I was just kind of rummaging through the shop looking for props. Props. You're yeah. in the kitchen covered. <laughs> you're in the bathroom looking for anything, and it was great because. Uh, what I ask people is, do you enjoy being photographed? Mm-hmm. And my experience is most people don't unless they are like someone who's photographed a lot. And then they don't mind or they get creative with it. Yeah, for me, because I don't, I don't see any merit in me being a subject of a photograph. Like it doesn't, doesn't do anything. Like everything I feel like that I'm going to give time to, I want it to be worth, I, I want to enjoy that. So if I, there's no way that if you're just going to take a, picture of me sitting there looking at the camera that I'm going to go, wow, this is great. This is great. This is a cool, like why? Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I want something to kind of distract from me yeah. in the shot. It's a lot of pressure and to feel, especially if you're not, uh, especially enamored with being playful on the film plane of a camera mm-hmm. as a job or just as a curiosity about yourself. And I'm very much that way. I describe what I do many times for people I photograph many people who have, you know, they don't get photographed very often. They might even be a top CEO, but they're very insecure when they have to sit for a camera and yeah. with lighting and all this stuff when you come in with a crew. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a like, dentist. I'm used to it because I have to do it for, yeah. you know, Promo publicity and, and stuff. And, yeah. But I never ever look forward to it. And I, I rarely, I, I only like this stuff if it's, if there, if it could be anybody in that photo, I'm like, oh, cool. Like, it doesn't matter right. who is in it. Essentially, it's yeah. just a great um, photo. And so, but I was wondering about yours. Like, when you, I mean, you go on your website and there's, you know, Eminem and uh, Mark Marin. Like, do you? How do you get those jobs? Are they like, oh, we know Brian Kelly is the guy. We'll get him. Or like, yeah. does, is there? You work with a company that brings you on as a. It's a little bit of a combination of. All those things over the last 10, 15 years, uh, sort of a snowball effect. Um, one is, um, oh, I props to Laugh Fest. Laugh Fest started mm-hmm. uh, an amazing 10 day comedy festival, and then we just finished the ninth year, I think. And I, they asked me to be the photographer that would 
shoot a commissioned portrait of every single top entertainer that came in. Mm-hmm. And you don't get that opportunity outside of uh, Michigan. But, like, who pays for that? Well, they have a budget. It okay. isn't big, but they pay my production expenses, and they, I have a little left over. But, it's but you get a guy, like, a, you get a guy it, like Paul Schrader, who is... Well, that, uh, that's a great story, because I wanted to ask you about Paul Schrader, for yeah. one. But the only reason I have Paul Schrader's portrait is I went to his film seminar at UICA. UICA brought him in yeah. to do a talk. They screened his film. Yeah, I moderated you host, it. You moderated yeah. it and did a Q&A. But that's him. something you're like, hey, Paul, could I just get you for 10 I minutes? I literally went up to him, and I walked up to him at a 10-minute a, a break. during. He did a script-writing seminar yep, that I, pay, I yeah. paid and went, and went to because I was interested in script-writing and also to be in the same room with Paul Schrader. Who's from Grand Rapids? Or from Grand and Rapids, and one of the greatest screenwriters and directors yeah. in cinema history. Yep. So I just wanted to be next to some of that mojo, and I yeah. didn't know what it would feel like, and I didn't know what he was like. But I literally, there was a moment in a break. They took like a ten or fifteen minute break, get a restroom break, go grab a drink, uh, water, or coffee, mm-hmm. and he just went to the back of the room near where I was, and no one went up and talked to him. And I went up to him and I said, hi, Mr. Strader, I'm a photographer in town. I love your career, that you're from Grand Rapids. Can I take your portrait? It'll promise you it'll only take you 10 minutes. But th- that moment, or you set it up later that set night? set it or up later. It's yeah. all a big story. It's a huge scramble. And this, this brings us back to our other conversation about uh, earlier about being in Grand Rapids. Yeah. Is he said, yeah, I, I'll do a portrait, but it cannot take more than 10 minutes. And I said, I'll have you out in five if it's necessary. Because you could be anybody, just some schlub with a, you know, right. a razor phone who's going to just... Right. And I think I had he, my phone. Why and did I didn't he trust know, you? You know, a lot of people, you show people something on your phone, oh, okay. and you don't even know if they can see it, because yeah. they might need glasses, yeah. right? And uh, I just went up to Paul Schrader, and I said, I, I'm a photographer in town. Here's a couple examples of my work. Uh-huh. I, you're, I'm from Grand Rapids. You're from. I would love to honor you with a portrait of you in your hometown. Yeah. And I know that you're staying at the Amway Grand Plaza Hotel. And if I get everything set up and I'm pre-lit and everything, you just have to come in and hit a mark mm-hmm. for five minutes. Uh, I guarantee you'll be out in five minutes. And he said, okay, I'll do it. And then <laughs> I said, so how do I get a hold, to, a hold of you? And <laughs> This is my favorite part of the yeah. story. I said, so how do I get a hold? And he interrupted me, and he's like, 917. He just started, like, rattling off his cell phone number. I'm like, oh, am I texting you? Like, I was just taking a note in my phone. Like, yeah. you know, like, I just had to get something down. Do I email you, or how do I tell you when I'm ready? He's kind of a rascal. I mean, you got to well, keep up with He's kind of a guy. cranky dude, and yeah. I, I like that about him. And I yeah. knew that, and that was, like, part of the intimidation of, like, should I go up to him and ask him for a portrait? Like, right. I'm asking, I mean, Raging Bull and... Yeah. Taxi driver, it's crazy. Yeah. So anyway, uh, then I said, I'll find a location in the Amway Grand. And what's your window? And he says, I have a window. I have to do a conference call. And then uh, I have some time between like 3 and 3.30. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I'll be ready at 3 o'clock, ready to go. I'll text you the location in the Amway Grand. And I had about... Mm, an hour and a half to pull the shoot together. I had one assistant that I could get a hold of. I had my gear in my truck. Mm-hmm. I had to call the Amway Grand. I called the, the 
Chad LaRue, who runs the marketing department, I said, Paul, or I said, Chad, I got, I can shoot Paul Schrader. You know who he is? He said, yeah, I know who he is. Like, can I use your uh, Lumber Baron bar? Because it's closed and they don't oh, open okay. until five. Yeah. He's like, sure. Oh, cool. I rolled my card in, past <laughs> security. I was like, you know, got set up at uh, like 2.45. I texted him the location. He never replied. And I said, I'll be ready at three o'clock. Yeah. And it got to be like 2.58. And I was like looking around and he never replied to any of my right, texts. Right. I was like, ah, I don't even know if this is going to go down. It's a cool move. And sure enough. <laughs> At 3 o'clock on the dot, Paul Schrader strolled into that empty bar, and we just did a shoot. And then he gave me like 10 or 15 minutes. We ended up chatting a little bit, but I let him go. You know, did, I wasn't gonna has he seen the photos? Yeah, I loved him. He posted one on Facebook. Oh, great. Uh, right after I uh, retouched it and put yeah, it out. It's, it's, I wondered that with, with some, some, some guys or people that, I mean, do you do a lot like that that aren't? You're hired. You just really want to shoot them. Oh, I'll shoot. And, yeah. I'll shoot if I want to shoot somebody. I'll. I'll. It costs me money. I'll yeah. pay an assistant. I'll pay a makeup artist. If it's why? A, that's your art. Like that's that's. I yeah. A portrait of somebody that will. There's there's a selfish reason. The first is I just. I think it's amazing to put somebody in a frame that is somewhat well known within whatever genre they're known in. Yeah. Like that helps me because uh, as a career, because even like you're like, how do you get so-and-so? Yeah. Uh, I try not to pay for those things. I love to get paid for them, but it helps yeah. me on the other side. Uh, people, I mean, I do shoot, I mean, I don't, I do shoot a lot of high profile people for a living, but at the same time, um, it helps me shoot other projects and they just think I'm, I'm that I'm the guy that does this stuff. So there's a little bit of a polish to maybe hiring me for a job versus somebody else. But my point is it's first an art and it's more of an honoring that person. Because like in the same way that I really don't enjoy the process of directing a movie. I mean, do you, you love shooting photographs or are you ever, I'm terrified almost of every portrait. There's a paralysis that happens I have an idea, yeah. but I don't know what the subject is. And this brings me back to your portrait, that well, everything that I loved yeah. that we just did an hour ago was how you started looking for props. You're like, I can't just stand in the photo. I'm like, perfect. I'm tired of shooting people who are fine with me just shooting a portrait of yeah. them and I'm telling them what to do. Right. And now I'm reacting to your energy and your interest and you found some objects that were already making you laugh. Before yeah. we ever did anything with them, they seemed absurd. Yeah, and then I was like, "This is this is this this is Joel Petrakis. This is his films are offbeat. There's things coming askew. There's always something in the writing or the storyline or how something's shot that's like it's not in the mainstream, you know. And I think mm-hmm. what I'm excited about your portrait is that it's gonna speak to that in some way. Yeah, because I it's hope. you. And it played played off of that. Yeah. But in terms of me just loving the product, there's parts of me that when I have a big shoot, I don't sleep much. It may get two or three hours. It just keeps me up at night. See, that's that's the slight difference. That's very similar to like when I'm shooting, and even the weeks that are leading up to the shoot, I can't sleep. And so you have the quote unquote luxury of basically one day, and sure. you can relax. Yeah. 
So it's that I have that feeling that you get where you can't sleep and you're restless, but it's for like a month. But the the green is the grass is always greener on the other side. If you give me a year to plan something and I have to execute it over a month, like that's a luxury. When I'm scrambling and someone calls me from a magazine, then my M and M story is another one. I mean, I got paid for that, but like yeah. I, it was an accident. Uh, well, it wasn't an accident, but the I got a call and there the photographer that was supposed to do that shoot couldn't go, and that they asked that photographer is a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Well, you you need to help us find somebody, and they better be good. Yeah. And he said, there's only one guy I recommend. Oh, that's awesome. And I got a call literally at 1.30 in the morning. And it was this dude who's in Texas, at the, my buddy, Jeremy. He's like, what are you doing tomorrow at 9 a.m.? I go, uh, I don't know. I'm listening to you right now. What, is, what you got going on? Yeah. He told me about the shoot. He says, well, don't go, don't go back to sleep. The producer's going to call you. Just give me 20, 30 minutes. He'll call you. And he'd call me like an hour and a half later, of course. But anyway, that that's how it happened. But then I was I was up all night, and then I drove to Detroit and got onto this video set that they were doing, and yeah. then had to figure out what I was doing in two seconds. They told me not to bring a lighting. That's system. probably the better way, right? I mean, for me, it would be like the there's that you don't have the anxiety of the the waiting for it. It's like oh, it's happening right now. I don't even have time. Well, I love that. I love the energy and the excitement of that. That's. That's a drug. Yeah. I'm going to go shoot Eminem, and I have two and a half hours to go to drive to Detroit and think about it and yeah. also pinch myself the whole way. I'm going, is this really happening? Am I really shooting Eminem? Yeah. My, I, that's insane to me that that could even happen in my yeah. life, for one. And being in a position for those two things to collide is amazing. But at the same time, it's horrifying. <laughs> yeah, I definitely assume you didn't sleep that night. No, I did not sleep yeah. that night. And there's a whole other backstory that I won't share, but I was already working on it. I was part of the reason that I, I didn't mind being up all that late because I was already I was on deadline for another project, and we were editing. Hmm. Did Trevor Noah come here for Laugh Fest? Is that how yeah, you he came to? He oh, came okay. for Laugh Fest. A lot of the, especially if they're in the comedian entertainer field yeah they came through for laugh yeah. so i might shoot seven to eight fairly iconic people every year for laugh fest and then they'll yeah. go into my portfolio but like amy schumer was shot just uh she had inside amy schumer but she wasn't yeah outside well outside stella's right yeah yeah it's the wall she was just here for a show, or was that... She came in to do a show for Laugh Fest. Oh, for Laugh Fest, right. Because there might be 18 to 20 top... Well, they're doing a little bit less now. There's somewhere anywhere between... In the early days, they used to have... I'd shoot 18 different comics, and some of them were all over the mark, and then all of a sudden, somebody's Netflix special shows up, yeah. or they're on Comedy Central, and then something happens in the news, and then they're famous. Yeah, that's got to be an awesome famous. part of it. You kind of just have to treat everyone with the same respect you know, as yeah. Eminem because who knows in 5 years. Yeah, and that's curious. I don't know like how you feel about meeting people, but the more I've been dealt with people who seem to be really famous, uh that veneer is gone for me. That's an advantage. I am yeah. actually thankful for that because I really don't feel any more pressure shooting Trevor Noah than I do for you, except my time constraint is going to be less with Trevor Noah. Right. So it puts a little more pressure on the shoot. But in terms of me just creating an interesting photograph, that pressure is equal. I don't care if it's you or a, 
a kid I shoot that's a subject of an annual report for a nonprofit. Like I, I just want a good photograph. That's all I care about. Yeah. And that's, I mean, in the same way, um, you know, I was, I was approached by a, 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 a well-known actor who wanted, who's like, I'm a fan of your work and mm-hmm. like to work with you. And I had to kind of think about it. I was like, I don't know where this actor would fit into my world really. And it's yeah. like, most people are like, oh, of course, you got to work with him. It'll, but it's like that, yeah. mm, you know, like it's, if it's not right for the story, I, I, what's the point? Sure. Um, that's not, so, so I. But in know, terms of the process of working, what I'm trying to get back to is that yeah. you don't, there's parts of the process that are really painful for you. And then yeah. it's also the same for me. Yeah. Like there's other things I I love about what I do, but like, I think people look at the outside and you're this filmmaker and you can write amazing strips and you're so talented and you direct everything and you're on film festival circuits and you're in Switzerland and all traveling the world premiering your films and they think it's all great, you know, it's all amazing. Yes, it is. And they say that about what I do. They think I just shoot famous people all the time, but it is a grind, man. Tell me about the grind of just doing what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, like... Like you said it too, is the 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 reason I do it is because as awful as that is, is when you're on set and you get the take, there's no big greater feeling than that. Like right. that's just like, oh, that's better than any drug. And you do Absolutely. it for that. 100%. It only it only lasts like two minutes because it's like, yeah. all right, now we gotta shoot the next scene. Yeah. But but there you can't ever get that feeling doing at least for me, I can't get that feeling doing anything else. Um and every time I make a new film, I'm scared that I'm not going to get that feeling. Like, that feeling's gone. But it's still always there. And, you know, you only get that feeling when everything is perfect or as perfect as you as it is in your head. When it's like, yeah, that's what I saw in my head and we got that. So if it's not that and I'm not getting that feeling, then I assume the audience isn't going to get any kind of feeling too. And that's right. the big fear is like that I'm not going to love this movie because we haven't done this and we haven't done this right. And we took, we, you know, did this um, yeah. really quickly. We skimmed over this and now well, you know look. that. And I think the, well, you know, that, you know, the week, you, you know, the, you know where the production was weak when you're done, when you wrap your filming, you know, when, when you didn't quite have as much time or you had to yeah. like, cut your losses at a certain point on for whatever reason. Yeah, and most people, no one's ever going to know. They don't know. That but was my next I point. But I will know. You'll and, know, yeah. hey, if I can't watch my movie, then what's the point? Even though the irony is I never watch these because I just look at the mistakes. All I can see is right. the mistakes. Yeah. But if, if it's, like, I'm just trying to make movies that are my favorite movies ever. Yeah. And so if, I, if I'm not doing what's in my head, then it's what's the point? Like, right. What is the point if it's not going to be my favorite scene or shot? And yeah. I want every shot to be my favorite shot in the movie. Like, yeah, but also like in the history of cinema too. Like you have that sort of pressure too. Maybe you're not say, saying like, oh, I'll make of something better than some of the greatest things. But the point is, yeah, I think if you're it, it never drives you, but it's part of your brain as a creative to go. I am sensing that in you, and I, I feel it for myself. It's like I put the self-imposed pressure that if I'm gonna put all this time and energy and ask people to do this or that and sacrifice their time or their whatever summer 
it better be good. You know, that's the pressure I feel. Yeah, and it's it's not like like this better, this this better, it's not just like this better be the best movie in Grand Rapids. Like this better be the best movie in the fucking world. Like this is, this is going to be seen, you know, by audiences everywhere. It's going to be online. So anyone literally in the entire world can see it. And my name's going to be on it. It's got to be, it's got to be global good, not Grand Rapids good. Yeah. Like, it has to be. Well, you brought it right back to your original question of me, is that's how I feel. Is that, yeah. like, a, if I'm doing this, uh, I admire and follow and respect the work of the top photographers that I that their work speaks to me, whether it's commercial work or advertising work or just editorial portraits or they're just a fine art portraitist or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's the bar for me. Like, I don't care who's working around here. I'm just trying to... Yeah, I'm just trying to swing for the fences, right? For and because that, that's the other thing is that is no matter what is no matter like people are like oh, Brian Kelly, he's great, he's he's working, but there's I assume that there's always something more that you're always trying to achieve. Like, I don't care. So don't you find that those sort of compliments to be empty? I'm glad I'm not fueled by people saying that they love my work or oh my gosh, it's amazing. I'm no. not. I'm not. I'm not pushing on. I accept whatever people yeah, say, and I'm right. appreciative that they would say that about me or my work or whatever it is. But that doesn't fuel me. That doesn't. I'm not doing it for them or for that reason. No. And the fact that you put yourself as risk as a writer and filmmaker and crafter of cinema, it's something other than hearing applause at but a there's, premiere. Yeah, there's just. But there's always, no matter how successful somebody thinks that you are. I always am like, sure, but I'm really going for that. I'm real. I'm. I haven't hit that yeah. yet, and that's what I'm like to be content, like 100 percent content, yeah, as, or satisfied. You know, right. I can't. I can't get no satisfaction. Like, yeah. I just want to be perfectly satisfied, and you can never be perfectly satisfied. So you're always trying to get perfectly satisfied. It, it, that's, it'll never that's fill you the up. Chase. I think it'll never fill you up. Like a, part of my horror is like I look at that M&M photo and I'm proud of it mm-hmm. given the circumstances and how everything came together. I think, you know, Home Run, they loved it. It went crazy global because no one had seen him in quite some time and his beard was, you know, he'd been dark for a bit because his last album was not very good. Mm-hmm. And... uh but it, anyway, uh, but I look at that and I go, well, who's my next? Well, yeah. Why haven't I shot somebody else who's globally a Beatle? Like, we take Eminem in Michigan and in the United States for granted. But once he's in New Zealand or uh, Buenos Aires or Santiago, like, it is Beatles crazy, Michael yeah. Jackson in the night. Like, he's, it's insane what he, his fame. But for me, knowing, getting back to our point, why haven't I shot anybody? Why haven't I shot Lady Gaga yet? That's part of the thing I'd love to. That'd be on my bucket list. And those sort of things, like, that's so fleeting. The project, yes. But I want the next one. Yeah. That's all. And and that's a big fear of mine. Like, when I made Ape, that was 2012. And that film did exponentially bigger things than I ever could have thought. Sure. And then as soon as we left um, the world premiere, that's the one in Switzerland. As soon as we left that, I suddenly had this sick feeling in my stomach was like, that was as good as it's going to get. Like, I'm going to be the guy 10 years from now. I was like, I, I made a movie in 2012 and it played in so Switzerland. Exactly. I have the same and it's like, 
I don't want to be that guy. So on the drive back home from the airport from New York, we had 12 hours. We, flo- we drove to New York because it was cheaper to fly out of there. Um, it was all four of us, and it was like, let's start writing the next one right now. Like, I have kind of an idea, but I'm just going to yeah. start. Like, we need to keep going. Like, yeah. Go, like, hurry up. Like Synergy like, of opportunity yeah, and, like, and, and just everything. We have this momentum, yeah. and if we just go back to Michigan and, like, look at us, we won this big prize at yeah. the Carnival Festival, and, and just milk this, we're going to get really soggy and lazy, and it's going to, like, we got to... The, the, the thing we say after every time we wrap a movie is we just say, fuck that movie. Like, fuck it. After we're done with Buzzard, we're like, fuck Buzzard. We're on to the next yeah. one. Like, I'm going to steal that because that is really the mentality I feel. I alluded to these broadcast commercials. I did this a massive job and Scott, two of them. And t- t- they were two years apart for the same company, big golf equipment manufacturer in Scottsdale, a huge soundstage. Like, uh, I, I was brought in to direct, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm way over my skis. <laughs> I have PGA Tour players flying in on private jets, landing at the uh, Scottsdale airport, coming to the studio, which is right by the airport. And I have the, like the production coordination was, was ridiculous. Like in a way that like nothing could go wrong. Yeah. Tight schedules and all this stuff. And, um, what that was done, I mean, I was horrified through the whole process and it went great. And like, nobody knows I'm horrified. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm doing what I got to do. But at the same point, uh, I said, give me the next one. As soon yeah. as I was on a plane flying back, I was like, I can't. I need to do another one of these or another way or another of that sort of pressure, even though I, it was miserable all at the yeah, same time. Yeah, I know. I don't get that. I mean, that's I'm, I hate directing, but and, and I'm just... But every single day that I'm not directing, it's just like, why am I not directing today? Just I go to bed like with this, and I don't know if it's like something in my childhood there's like a guilt thing or something but if if i'm not if i'm not doing something every day to make the the movie that they'll know me by you know then then what's it you know but now i have a kid and i'm like and my biggest fear before he was born is that i was going to lose that feeling and i kind of did for a while it's like oh Films, I was yeah. superfluous. Like, uh, why was a, I I'm so a into father filmmaking. now? Yeah, yeah. But it, it it took a while and it came back. And, and I mean, obviously now it's harder because I'm yeah. with him all day and I'm trying to write and plan things out. But I I do have that feeling of like just this pit in my stomach where it's like I need to be making a movie right now. It's been yeah, it's been a year. This is insane. Like, yeah, I'll be down like a week and a half with no shoots, and then I actually do feel like. You know, just because of timing, the schedules are. Sometimes I'm up for projects I don't get, and that's a whole roller coaster in and of itself. But uh, yeah, I get super itchy and antsy, yeah. and I get a little cranky, and I don't. Wanna... I remember what it felt like before I was making feature films. Like I just I remember that frustration, yeah. just kind of that feeling of like, eh, I guess I'll just yeah. work at a bank. Like just like that awful, right. like kind of heavy depression that's not yeah. like not like lay in the bed depression but just kind of like this is You're you know access is something that you sh- you know in your soul you shouldn't be resigned to yeah and then if i could see where i'm at right now and be like dude why aren't you making you have people will pay you money to make your next movie right. what are you doing well 2011 joel 
would yeah. just be amazed at 2019, Joel. Don't that's, you think? That's what sometimes, you know, that, yeah, sometimes I do have to like, okay, get, yeah. get a little perspective, a dude. Like, sit back and yeah. think like. Give yourself a break, man. You, you're doing good. Everything's good. That and acknowledge ref- the rare air that you have. And I think that uh, we want to pay you another compliment. You know, in the, in the lexicon of Michigan filmmakers, you are in some rare air. And not many people get to climb the rung that you have. I know it's a grind. It's not like, yeah. uh, you know, we're not... It, 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 but the way that you're methodically building and controlling your career, it can only get more and more exciting is within your partnerships. And when you have that sort of backing and sort of your methodical approach to filmmaking and story crafting mm-hmm. with your band of brothers that you put together and sisters, yeah. it's going to be an amazing thing to watch. I can't wait to sort of the next one. We should, is, I don't want to know specifically the project, but there's something in the works I would imagine. Yeah, and I, I'm just, you know, it's, it's also that you have to have that feeling of like, at least when, you're, when I'm writing, I have to think, this is the greatest thing I've ever written. And right now I'm halfway through the greatest thing I've ever written. That's awesome. It's, I cannot wait. I'm just dying to film it. Yeah. But I know as soon as we're like, as soon as if I say, all right, July 2020, we're filming for the next 14 months, I'm just going to be, ugh, you know, yeah. nauseous and can't sleep. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I just can't wait to film this. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Yeah. Is Mr. Burge going to be part of that, you think? I don't, like schedule? I said, I don't write, I don't even, well, like, no, I meant, even when I'm yeah, writing it, oh, I don't mean, even, yeah, I don't even think like, yeah. okay, Josh is going to play this sure, character. Sure. I just do. And then after, I like. And it's weird. I'm never like, all right, Josh, I would like you to play this. It's just kind of like, hey, it's a script. Let's read it. And it's like, yeah, you're going you're gonna to be great in this. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And there's never a time like, the role is yours, kid, or there's no yeah. contracts. It's just kind of like months go by and then be like, yeah. yeah. I'll tell somebody, like, yeah, Josh is... Yeah, Josh is starring in it, I think. Yeah, yeah, he's he's the, yeah, he's the lead role. I think so. He's been reading the script and scouting with me for quite a while. Yeah, and it's just kind of goes back to that band mentality where you wouldn't be like, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm writing a new album. It's like, we got to go find a, lead another singer. lead singer. It's yeah. like, no, he's he's the lead singer. It's yeah. just kind of like, that's what it well, is. Well, he's a quality dude, man. I really like him. I, yeah. I, I He's been great to me, and we've made some cool photos together, and I know that we'll be able to do more uh down the road. I mean, I'm always itching to try to get to LA and your squeeze mean, in some your, personal projects. Your meanwhile you know. photo of him is really excellent, man. Well, that was fun. And it was nice. I asked him where, you know, where he was leaving. He sold sold everything. You know, that was the longest goodbye of all time, Josh Burge. <laughs> yeah. It was a little yeah. it was a little crazy. <laughs> but he just uh, posted up there. The, but, long, uh, the long goodbye. That's yeah. the Altman movie, right? The last yeah. goodbye, long goodbye. I long think it's goodbye. the long goodbye. Long goodbye. Yeah. yeah, he was living the long goodbye. <laughs> he was, but it was beautiful, and it was very heartfelt on his part. So yeah. I cut him all kinds of slack. Yeah. But I know that was his joint, and that was his watering hole. So I was like, let me get something before you go. And it just, I love environmental portraiture like that. That that all plays a story yeah. behind, and everything's meaningful. But yeah, we've done a couple shoots in L.A. and a couple here, and. Uh, but for all those same reasons that you like him on camera, I love him on camera too. Cause yeah. he's just, uh, he has something that, that 99.9% of the world doesn't have. And it's, yeah. it's not a, a traditional look. He's so uniquely himself. Yeah. But, um, 
Well, I, man, I really thank you for coming in. We've been talking a while, so Thanks, uh, I'd love to swing back, talk more later. Yeah, you know, down the road and have you on. And uh, I, there's a lot of loops that I didn't get to. I'd like, and Me too. we got going to a synergy of yeah, just being creative, uh, grinding in the business side of just the, trying to roll a rock up a hill. Yeah, this, this is great. Just, uh, but. Um, is there anything you, you thought you'd talk about that I need to ask you about Grand Valley or teaching or anything like that? Because that's your other soul, your other uh, side of you that you're... Yeah, luckily I don't have to... I would be... I would not be able to make it of, of, as if I were a director for hire, which I, I have a manager in LA that is often like, well, they're looking for a director. And it's like, I, I hate directing. <laughs> if I'm going to do it, it needs to be my thing. So you I'm, need to I suffer properly. For yeah, it. and that that's uh, another thing. If you told 2011 Joel that you'd be a professor at Grand Valley State University, he'd be like, "Well, you liar! Get out of here!" Really? So that is like teaching. I love teaching. Like that's when I can finally like I look forward to every day doing yeah. that. There's no dread. Um, so um, I feel like I'm in a good place with that. Um, it's a great a great balance to be able to have the summers off and make make a film in the summer. Absolutely, yeah, yeah that's great. Well, uh, appreciate. It. I can't wait to share the portraits, man, that we shot just a bit ago. It, they're different for sure, I'm and stoked. you're a different cat, and you make different <laughs> films. And uh, I couldn't be more excited to share them and push them out. So, props for coming in, and um, uh, I'll be definitely looking you up soon. Thanks, Brian. Okay. Wow, I really enjoyed that uh, longer conversation with Joel Petroikas. I, I couldn't cut anything out. I just found him so fascinating. So ha- thanks for hanging in there. Uh, you can stream or buy Relaxer at uh, relaxer.pizza is the URL. It's video on demand. So check it out. Go to relaxer.pizza. And see Relaxer, man. You will, uh, you'll, we should debrief and talk about it together and sort of, uh, figure out what happened there. And it's a good one. Um, not for everybody. Check it out. Thank you, Joel. That was fun. Check out fullexposurepodcast.com. It is, um, it's a rich experience. I'm very proud of that site. And so I hope you will, uh, peruse other episodes, look at other portraits we've made, and all kinds of other cool stuff that's on each page. Watch some video of our conversations. Uh, But most of all, have a great week, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode, and I'll see you next time.